All right, let's go. All right, we're going to do a little different uh, this week. We're going to do, we're going to do a show, Cindy. Hi, yes. And we're going to do what I think one of the most famous guys, and no nobody even knows him now. Is Red Story? Right. So we're going to run a grapevine show that we did with Red Story back in the day. Yeah, and, and he, uh, you're right, Dad. It's it's sad that we as Canadians don't celebrate our. Well, that's the English way. We don't. Uh, Americans are like that. They'll let you know. Oh, boy. And you know <laughs> oh. it. And so, Dad, tell us a little bit about Red Story. Well, he was born in uh, Barrie, Ontario, and he lived there, played for the Argos for six years. I wrote this down, by the way. Uh, won the Grey Cup in 37 and 38, scored three touchdowns in 12 minutes for, and, against Winnipeg in the fourth quarter. They were losing 7-6, and they ended up winning in 30-7. to I mean, this guy was unbelievable. Uh, then, then he thought, well, I'll, I'll try red uh, lacrosse. He never played lacrosse in his life before. And it, he took it up in one practice. He, was, he played that night. Then red started to, uh, he started a ref, and he was a great referee. I remember when he come down to the American Hockey League, he'd come up behind you, one more cross-check from you, chair, uh, number two. He never called you <laughs> number two. He said, hey, you're gone. So you can remember him refereeing. Against- I remember near the end. He's yeah. a big guy, eh? Oh boy, he was—he was about six foot two. Started to ref in 1950 and then retired. Well, he didn't retire. Well, I guess he did retire. Well, we'll, he- well, we'll tell the, He's going to tell the story of he why did. he retired. Yeah. And Cindy, it is the craziest story that you've ever heard. Like if they made this in the movie Slapshot, you'd go, "Come on." <laughs> yeah, they're. They're adding, but you wait till you hear the story, and Red Story's coming up right now. Free night, Dick. Just for me, I hope. Just for you, Dick. Now, tonight, we have Hall of Famer referee Red Story, but right now we have Hockey Night in Canada. Dick Irvin, put it there. All right, Dad. All right. Listen. You know, well, we are just watching the opening, and you and I were talking. Honest to God, one of the greatest thrills. Cam Neely phoned last year and said, how come you're not having me on? I mean, Cam Neely, I almost cried. I didn't think he'd come on. Anyhow, this book, one of the best, I read it. Look at that cover. Can we get the cover? Get that cover in there, unbelievable. There I am, right there. <laughs> That's behind the bench at the Montreal Forum, one night, right there. Yeah. Good well, shot, eh? Probably a few goals went in that night, no, too. No, no, yeah. no, no. no. Oh, where'd you get the idea for the book? Harry Neal. Harry Neal said, you gonna write another book, Dick? And I said, no, nah, Harry, I wanna take the year off. And he said, uh, come on, he calls me Ernest, because Ernest Hemingway. He says, come oh, on, yeah. Ernest. He <laughs> said, we gotta have another one. He said, why don't you write a book about coaches? He said, there's a lot of stories out there. He said, look at grapes, look at this guy, look at that guy. And he said, oh, what about when I got fired in Detroit? So he tells me the story, it's pretty funny. And so I started to talk to fellows like yourself and the publisher, McClellan Stewart, bought it in a minute. And I had, had a great time doing my book about the Canadians, but I think Don, Hockey coaches gave me the best experience of my working life. Just I talked to 50 guys before it was all over, and fellas like yourself, some great stories. Harry was absolutely right, and I had a ball. 
Well, tell us about how Harry got, this is a good one. Now, just, we'll give a few stories just to let it go. Tell us how Harry got fired. Harry lasted in Detroit till what? Just after Christmas time. Yeah. And he joined uh, you and I. That's right, exactly. Old coach is going hockey night in Canada. He's coming home from New York City and they just got beat 10 to one. And the team is going terrible and he's really on the bubble. And they, he gets off the charter plane and he comes to the uh, subway, the, the, uh, the tunnel between Windsor and Detroit. And the guy's on, he said, I've got to get the hockey scores, 2 o'clock in the morning. So he's driving along and the guy gives the hockey scores. He says, the Detroit Red Wings have called a news conference for tomorrow morning, at which time it's expected that Coach Harry Neal, and he goes under the tunnel and he can't hear the radio. <laughs> now he doesn't know what's going on. And he guns it through the tunnel and he comes out the other end and the music's playing. So now he doesn't know what's going on. See, he gets home, he figures the lights are going to be on, my wife's going to be up, and everybody's asleep, not a word. So the next morning he makes a phone call, 8 o'clock in the morning. He had to call the Red Wings to ask if he'd been fired. And they said yes. You imagine, you go let him go to the rink. Yeah, that's right, the, exactly. And they have yeah. all the press. Well, Harry didn't do that. He just slipped something. But tell us about Billy Ray. Now, I think Billy Ray's was even worse than that. Listen to this. 13 years now, he's with Chicago. Well, Harry's was just after Christmas. I call the chapter Happy New Year, Harry. But Billy Ray had a note slipped under his door in his apartment, which was a building owned by the Norrises that owned the hockey, or the Wurzes that owned the hockey team. The day before Christmas, Billy, you're fired. Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, isn't that nice, eh? <laughs> I'll tell you, boy, I remember the time uh, when they called me in, the old story, uh, uh, the general manager, my first coaching. So he calls me in the office, and he says, um, I remember he's smoking a little cigar there, he says, Don, we're going to make a change in your department. This is your friend Adams, eh? Yeah. Rochester? Yeah, and I'm thinking, who the hell's in my department? Oh, it's me. I'll tell you right now. Well, I'll tell you another guy that, uh, uh, and I was gone. That was it. But listen, we got a guy here, and I'm going to tell his age. Tell us about Red's story. He's 75 years old, and tell us a little about him. Well, first of all, I'm going to tell you how I always introduce Red at dinners, and I've done that a lot. My father used to say, who was a longtime hockey coach, and as long as he refereed in the tell NHL... Tell about, excuse me, let, tell about the story, the time Red got hurt on the ice. All right, that's dead. the one I'll tell. Okay. Red falls down, he runs, some guy runs over him, right in front of the Montreal Canadiens bench. Red is dying on the ice. He's lying there, thinks he'll never get up for the rest of his career, and my father runs to the end of the bench, leans right over him, and he yells, I hope it's nothing trivial. <laughs> You'd have done the same uh, thing. Same thing. Hey, exactly. Some of the referees I know, I wish they'd never get up. Anyhow, this guy, 75 years old. How many games he refereed? Oh, he had, a, he had a quiet season last season. Only refereed 80 hockey games. 80 hockey and games. And all for charity. And all for nothing. He gets yeah. nothing for it, folks. And here he is, my buddy, Hall of Famer Red Story. So, Dad and Cindy, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Spreads.ca, their Canadian-owned online casino and sportsbook. And if you sign up now and knew the promo Grapes, they'll match your deposit up to $250. You get 10 spins on the big wheel for some money. And your first sports bet, they'll spot you 25 bucks, which is pretty good. And Pretty good. Pretty and good. now's their time with all the sports starting. So. <laughs> and remember, they're Canadian. Right. So, so back to the red story. Now, before you start, before you start, what's all this malarkey about making up for a face that I got? That's right. 
Because I always say, for beauty, I am no star. There are others more handsome by far. But my face, I don't mind it, because I sit behind it. It's you people in front that I jar. Yeah, yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's good, Red. What I always tell her, it's hard to improve on perfection. That's what I say, anyhow. Well, you can get away with it. I can't. Yeah, all right, listen up. <laughs> all right, Everybody thinks you're a referee, and they knows you're a Hall of Famer and everything, but you were in the Grey Cup. Tell us about the Grey Cup game. That was unbelievable. Well, actually, I was in two. In 37, uh, we met Winnipeg, and we beat them. In 38, we met Winnipeg again, and uh, to start the third quarter, they were leading 7-6. to six. It was a tough ball game. And we finally, in the last uh, 12 minutes, uh, I got a little lucky. A little lucky? Wait till I tell you. <laughs> Three TDs, not bad. One of the TDs, 102 yards. Thank you very much. <laughs> a little lucky. And you won the game. Yeah, we won the game. You played lacrosse? I played you lacrosse. Played that was funny. I, I took up lacrosse on an uh, accident there. I played uh, ball in Barry. And depression days, they wouldn't pay me any money. But if you lived out of town, they'd pay you to play ball. I was their best ball player. They wouldn't pay me. I'd never had a lacrosse stick in my hand in my life. And I said, if you don't pay me, I'm going to Aurelia and play lacrosse. At that time, Aurelia had the number one lacrosse team in the world, box lacrosse team, honest to God. And they said, go ahead, you'll be home in a week. And I went up, and uh, I didn't know how to hold a stick. I didn't know anything about lacrosse. Never played lacrosse in my life. And this is the best team in the world. And Bucka McDonald was a playing coach, and he knew me, and he gave me a tryout, and I could run like hell, but I didn't know how to play with the stick. So the guys would practice for an hour, an hour and a half, and then they'd shower and take off, and I'd sneak around and come in the back in the building, and I'd work out three or four hours a day by myself, throwing the ball at the wall and learning how to catch it and all that. And finally, uh, now a month of training has gone by, and it's the opening game. I walk into the dressing room, and my sweater's on the, on the wall. <gasps> I'm dressing. The best team in the world. I've made it in a month. I am so happy, you got no idea. Now, for the start of the game, they turn out all the lights in the building and they got the spotlight. And you got to announce your name, you come on the floor. And I'm so happy that I don't have to go back to Barry. I'm three feet off that floor when I'm running out there. I'm so happy. Now they get both teams introduced. Now they turn on all the lights. This is the opening game, the first game I've ever played in my life. And tradition says the youngest rookie has to take the first practice shot at the goalkeeper. That's tradition. This is before the game starts. I'm the youngest rookie, and they throw me the ball. And the stands were loaded that night, I remember. Most of the fans were, too. And, uh, <laughs> 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 and they throw me the ball, and I go back to the center of the floor, and as I say, I can run like hell. I come running in there as hard as I could, and I wound up, and I take a shot, and I broke our goalkeeper's jaw. <laughs> And they kept you? And they kept me. Yeah, that is amazing. I was, thought I was going to go back, right back to Barry. Is that where you thought you'd be a referee after that? No, I, I, I thought I was going to be a referee when I couldn't play. The doctors wouldn't let me play anymore. I had too many injuries. Now, I want to go all right to, right to it. You Eight years are there, 2,000 games you did. You're a Hall of Famer. But you remember April 5th. 1959. That must have been in Chicago. It was. It was in Chicago, and I'm lucky I'm here. Tell us about that game. Well, the thing is, you got to realize Chicago had been in the bottom of the league for years, and Montreal had been to the top of the league for years, and all of a sudden they've got Ted Lindsay from Detroit and Glenn Hall from Detroit, and they got uh, Litzenberger from Montreal, a few more. They, they got six players into Chicago to build up the team, and they're, now they're in the semifinals. And uh, it's the sixth game against Montreal, the winner to go into the final. 
And uh, they got 20,000 people in the building. They used to say 16, but there was 20. And uh, it's a great game, uh, really a fabulous game. You couldn't hear it. Both, all three officials had to blow the whistle to stop the play. You couldn't stop the play. And what happened was it's a very close game. And Eddie Litzenberger, who was a big guy like me, and they're one of their leading scorers, he comes waltzing out of his own end, and Marcel Bonin from Montreal puts his stick flat on the ice in front of him to trap the puck. And Big Litz, who was as awkward as I was, he steps on the stick, and he goes up in the air. And all the, all the Chicago team are stopping, they quit skating, and they're waiting for me to call a penalty. There's no penalty, step in the guy's stick, I can't give a penalty. Before they get their senses back, Montreal score a goal. Now there's a little bit of a disturbance. <laughs> slightly, slightly, <laughs> slightly. Because they can see their chances of going to the final are sort of slipping. We're in the third period now. Yeah. Now, right, oh, it took us maybe uh, 20 minutes to get the game started again. How about, how about tell us about uh, Todd. Doug Harvey. Well, how about Todd Sloan? For, yeah. First of all, during this episode, there's only one episode. Oh. First, first of all, <laughs> I, go to, I go to drop the puck for the face-off. And somebody says, look out, Red. And I turn around, this guy's running out in the ice with a pail of beer. And he throws it right in my face. And I, I grab him. And Doug Harvey grabs from the other side. And Doug knew me. And he knew my And he could see. He says, Red, you can't hit a fan. You can't hit a fan. He goes, bing. He, he hits him. the guy. He dings it. And he knows I'm still gonna hit him. So he says, Red, don't hit a fan, don't hit a fan. Bing, he hits him again. And the guy's staggering off the ice, you know. And now Doug's the only guy on the ice with me. Everybody was hiding either in the nets, beside the board, where the glass, no, they threw everything, chairs, bottles, everything. And I, I got to center ice, I figured any guy that's gonna hit me is gonna have to have a good arm. And, uh, but Doug stayed with me. And Doug stayed with me, and all of a sudden he says, look out, Red, a guy jumped the, the screen from the other side, it was screen in those days, and he jumped me in the back, and I saw a shadow, and I ducked, and I flipped him in the air, and as he's in the air, Doug cut him for 18 stitches. That, I tell you, man, you did that now, I bet a guy never come on the ice again. Hey, I got news, nobody came on the ice. After that. Now the game is over, this is a funny, the game is over. You remember Danny Lewicki? Sure do. Danny Lewicki was a good friend of mine. They were all good friends of mine. Believe it or not, the, the only friends that a referee has in the world is the guys he's controlling on the ice. They, if you're fair with them, they're on your side. Anyway, the game is over, and uh, Danny comes to me, and he says, Red, here's my stick. You're going to need it now more than I do. <laughs> and this, this true story, you come out at the end of the rink, you know, and you go down those oh, stairs, yeah, eh? Stairs. And there's a row of seats right there. And these were six hoodlums right there. And I got loose for you. I opened up the whole six of them with a stick. I just cleaned house. Because if I, I don't go down those stairs if I don't clean them out first. Boy, hockey was great back in those days. Two stories. Now, that was your last game, though, eh? Yeah, well, you know, the, the funny thing is that that was my last game in the National Hockey League. <laughs> oh, no, no. And it wasn't because uh, that was one of the best games, too, I refereed in the NHL. But we had a, a president who was into the sauce, and he was a super... Supervisor of the series. And with two and a half minutes to go, I don't know whether to call the thing off because of the riot or what to do, and I sent for him, and he refused to come down to the bench to make a decision, help me make a decision. He said he feared for his safety. 
And I, it was me. And you're down there. And they wanted me to kill. They, I was the one they wanted to kill. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, my next game is in Boston, Boston and Toronto. And I go over there, and Eddie Powers is my, my linesman. Oh, no, not Eddie Powers is my standby official. Yeah. And I got George Hayes and Bill Great Morrison. Great guy, George Hayes. George Hayes. We'll talk about him, too. George Hayes and Bill Morrison are my linesmen. Now we're over in Sharky's Bar having a few Cokes. And uh, uh, pops, pops. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say pops. Yeah. You know, we're having a few brews, let's not kid That's ourselves. <laughs> anyway, the, the kid comes running through with the papers. He got, I says, give me one each. I want to know what they're, uh, the, I'd heard rumors that there was a lot of things being said about me. So geez, I read the paper, the headlines are that thick. Story chokes, Campbell. What the hell is this, you know? And story chicken, Campbell, story. Oh, ho, ho. I looked at Eddie. I said, Eddie, go back and get a night's rest. You're refereeing tomorrow night. He said, no, no. He says, you're refereeing. I says, I will never referee again in that league. I says, I cannot accept that and work in the National Hockey League and look and face my family. Go back and get a night's rest. Eddie went back. I walked the streets of Boston all night because I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a wife and two kids to keep. And uh, I, was, I was really worried about it. And anyway, I called a press conference the next day, Red Burnett and uh, Robbie, Herb Robbie, because yeah, yeah. I had two guys I could trust. And I called them up to my room and I gave them the story that uh, I, was, I was quitting. And that spring, the, uh, uh, one of the governors of the league came into Montreal, the June meetings were in Montreal, and he got a hold of me and he said, how much money will it take to uh, get you back in the National Hockey League? I says, it won't take any money at all because money is not my object in life. And he says, well, what is it you want? I says, I want a public apology in every paper in the world that Mr. Campbell was quoted in. And he says, that's all you want? I said, yeah, that's all I want. No problem, Red. He says, I'll phone you up after the meetings and let you know how it went. He phones me up after the meetings and he says, Red, I'm afraid I got bad news for you. Mr. Campbell will not apologize and he will not retract the statement. And he stood there at the meeting and he said, don't worry about Red, fellas. Red is so stupid, he doesn't know how to feed his family. He'll be back here on his hands and knees in September begging for his job back. And I says, well, you go back and tell Mr. Campbell to hold his breath till I ask for my job back. And that's the whole story right and there. And he got in the Hall of Fame, too, right there. Right there. Right. Now, now, there was another guy I think was sort of your hero was a referee that gave you a lot of advice and a good friend of my dad and everything was Mike Rodden. 4,000 games he refereed. Oh, he was on Tell us young. about Mike Rodden. Mike was a throwback to the old days. Kingston, Ontario too, by the oh, way. Yeah. Right. Hey, every, every time, he wrote for the Kingston Whig Standard and every time I went through uh, Kingston, even when I was playing football or any other game, I always dropped in to the Kingston Whig Standard to see my buddy Mike. And I almost played football for Mike in Hamilton one year. I tried to get transferred from Argonauts to Hamilton because I didn't like the way Montreal or Toronto were treating me. And I couldn't get the, I couldn't get the, the uh, transfer. transfer and I had to go back. But Mike was my coach that year. What a guy. And I could I could have, you know, I'd have gone through a wall for Mike. Did you ever have an owner come in the dressing room after you? <laughs> I had them in the room. Once a week, saying, you will never work another game in this league. Yeah. <laughs> Every week, 
And I always figured there's only six teams in the league. If three guys don't like me, three must like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I gave him the f two famous words, and away we went again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, let me, let me, that was the same thing. Oh, that was because Mike was your mentor. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Now, look, I'll tell you, Mike, I remember reading the story about Mike, uh, Major McLaughlin, I think it was, oh, in yeah. Chicago. Chicago. He come, they lost the game. He'd come in the dress room, and Mike was taking his skates off. And he said, you'll, you'll do this, you'll do that, you'll do this. Mike says, got your skates off, out the door, or you're going through the door. So that was, you were like Mike all oh, the time. Yeah, sure. Now tell us about the one, one of the toughest you ever had, fights or whatever you want to call it, was Bob Bailey and the Rocket. And I know you did that. That yeah, was a tough I, I had, one. I had two great fights. One was in the Quebec League and one was in the NHL. And Bob Bailey and the Rocket, and before that night was over, uh, and, and, and Dick's dad was responsible for a lot of this, uh, the, the rocket had five different sticks in his hand in the one incident. And we finally saw the pictures of this game. I wonder, how the hell can a man have five sticks in a hockey game? You know, I kept taking one away. Where's he getting the others, you know? <laughs> and anyway, we, we look at the, the films after, and we'd get us some uh, down, everybody's cool, and, and rocket would skate over to the bench, and Dick's dad would give him another stick, That's where and, and from. World War Three is starting all over again. But he, you, you said, or somebody said that uh, Bailey tried to gouge he his tried, eyes. He tried. I, I asked the Rocket later. Uh, Rocket and I are friends, incidentally, the same as with them all. And I said, Rocket, what made you go berserk that night? He said, Red, he was trying to tear my eyes out when they came together. And he said, I don't care what a guy does, but don't put me out of hockey for life. And he says, he was trying to tear my eye out. Yeah. And he said, I, if I'd have got him, I might have done more damage than you think. Yeah, the Rocket was something, wasn't oh, he? Oh, the greatest goal scorer in hockey history. If you never saw him, you missed the greatest. Yeah, greatest. he was. I'll tell you that there. Now, I want to tell you a story. Sure. There used to be a guy by the name of Earl Siebert played with Chicago. Earl Siebert weighed about Babe, two. Babe, they call him, eh? Yeah. Babe Siebert. Ba Oh, Babe Siebert played with Montreal. Oh, this is Earl Siebert. I played won't with Chicago. again. I'll just it's all keep right. Shut. <laughs> it's starting to sound like my wife. <laughs> anyway, Earl Siebert's playing defense for Chicago, and I just want to show you how determined. Rocket weighed about 185 pounds. Earl Siebert weighed about 210. And the Rocket always played right wing. He was a left-hand shot, so he'd go around, and he had that one arm that he'd hold a defenseman off with. But Earl Siebert, as he was going by him, 210 pounds, jumped on his back, put his arms around his neck and his legs around his waist, and the rocket never broke stride. He went in on the, that's the truth. He never broke stride. He went in, he deked the goalkeeper, put it in the net, and shook and threw Siebert in the corner. That's the kind of guy. Another Hall of Famer. Yes, sir. I'll tell you. Now, we're going to go over the bar, but we got to go over the bar. I just want to ask Love you. Love the bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pops. All right, got to be quick. We got to go away. Who's the best hockey player you ever saw? Bobby Orr. Hey, I took a chance. I took a chance. Yeah. Put it there, Red. I'll tell you. We'll be right back with my buddy. I took a chance there. I thought you'd say the Canadians. <laughs> what do you think of fighting in the game? Well, I'm not again it. Ah, but I'll tell you. Don't, don't look at me. No. I, I, <laughs> what I'm against is the grabbing of the sweaters, the waltzing. Yeah. You know? If you're going to fight, fight. But don't drop the gloves. Why should I pay you a half a million dollars to break your hand on his helmet? Well, I, I kind of I mean, like you've got to be the dumbest. <laughs> you've got to be stupid to let a guy 
break his hand in a fight like that when it's torn. Let, if, they, if you leave them with their gloves on, and if they drop their gloves out of the game, but leave their gloves on, they can't hurt each other, and they, they can't grab, so they better be able to duke it out. Now listen, we got, we, we're in a hurry. First of all, Harry Watson should be in the Hall of Fame, right? I'm surprised he wasn't in for years. I never know until you told me that, that Harry was not in. Five, I think it's, uh, it's a, and we'll talk about that later. We got to go, but quick, tell, quickly, tell the time you were Santa Claus with Dick Bettles and Harold Ballard in overtime. We oh, only got I, a half a minute. Four, 14 years I did a Santa Claus, I, and they say they, they got a post-game show, Harold Ballard's on the hot seat, and they got three newspaper men quizzing them, and you'll go in at the end of the show and wish them a Merry Christmas. I had the Santa Claus outfit on. I didn't want to do it, but they gave me an extra hundred, so I did it. And, <laughs> Every man has his price. <laughs> and anyway, with about five minutes to go, Ralph Malmby, who's the producer at the time, gives me a rap in the rear and says, get on. And I come on with the bell. Ho, 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 Just dropped in Mr. Ballard. I says to wish y'all a very Merry Christmas. He looks up. He says, hello, you old fart. You. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell about the penicillin, too. We're not through with this show yet. Hurry. Anyway, anyway, Dick Beddows is one of the newspaper men quizzing. He turns to me, and I'm still in the outfit, eh? And I'm very embarrassed about this. And he says, Red, or not Red, Santa Claus, what are you going to give Mr. Ballard this year for Christmas? And I says, you know what they give a man who has everything, don't you? He says, no, Santa Claus, what do they give a man who has everything? I said, penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you were right, Tim. If they ever put that story on, uh, I don't know what they put it on. Like a movie, a slap movie. shot. You wouldn't believe it. You'd say, oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're. <laughs> how many how many criminal charges would there be of red-hitting guys <laughs> with stick? and uh, Guys, whacking guys and... and uh, yeah, Dad. So you—he was a great storyteller. So you were—you uh, and him were on the rubber chicken circuit there. Yeah, we we went on. We'd get into a car and drive to the next town, and then the next town. I I was pretty good, but they were I you know not bad. Did you follow him? Because he'd be a hard act oh, to follow. Oh no, you never ever you never followed Red Story. Yeah, he was the last guy. Him and Dennis Hall. Yeah, and you but you never followed you never followed those guys if you wanted it. Just as we end. I was in a, we were in the hotel and he couldn't find his wallet. Oh, he, he, was, he was in a frenzy. Yeah, nothing worse than losing well, a wallet. Well, it's an awful feeling. Yeah, it's an, and everything goes in it. And I just happened to, and we were tearing apart and we looked everywhere. And I just happened to see it fell down behind a bureau and it was wedged there. He was so happy, he almost gave me a kiss, I'll tell you. He was the absolute best at a, at a, at a banquet.